real quick before I start, a big, huge thank you to everybody that helped out with camp, with both of the camps, the youth camp and then last week for kids camp. They were a big success. I know we canceled our regular Sunday morning services. That's the only time all year we do that. And we started doing that because so many of our people, including me, pour in so much to those camps, and it's a big part of who we are. It's just too much to try to have the regular service. Um, Just to give you an idea, like last weekend was the kids' camp, and so we had 43 kids, but we had 45 workers. 45 people worked the camp, including the kitchen and the counselors and the... So 45 people is a huge part of our body and our core, so... We take that off, so apologize if anybody didn't have the word on that and showed up. I heard a couple people did, so. Um, but thank you all for supporting that and being a part of that and sending your kids to that and all the hard work. Um, a lot of good things happen at camp. But it's good to be back today. I know we got a lot of people still doing last-minute traveling before school starts back, and and pray for Pray for healing. A lot of people are sick this week. A lot of our people are out with sickness. and um, So so pray that everybody would be healed and whole and, and back. If you are turning with me in your Bibles today, I'm going to start in Exodus 33. Exodus 33. Today I want to talk to you about a random Tuesday. Your perspective and the goodness of God. Those three things are going to all tie together too, believe it or not. Hopefully, by the time I get to the end. So if I could ask you, I want to start out by just showing you something about your perspective. And they've done all these studies and these things that I read about this. And so if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. And I'm going to say some things and you're going to automatically imagine something from the words that I say. This will tell us something about you psychologically. Are you ready? Horse. Big horse. Black horse. Nice horse. Mean horse. Horsefly. Horseshoe. Okay, you can open your eyes. So humans are created with an imagination. Uh, Animals don't sit there and imagine and stuff. And so psychologists would tell us that when you close your eyes and you hear that, that different people's brains obviously process things different. And I'm left-handed, so I probably saw it different than most of you guys. Um, But they say that some of you, when I said that, Like some people, you saw the same horse. Like they say that there's a pretty high percentage of people that saw a horse. And then when I said big horse, it was all of a sudden a big giant horse. And then when I said black horse, it was a black horse. And then when I said nice horse, it was walking up to you real nice. And then when I said mean horse, it bit you. When I said horse fly, it was the same horse. There was just a fly on the horse. And then when I said horse shoe, it picked up its foot and you could see its shoe. But to you, it was all the same horse, like to some of y'all. Raise your hand if that was you. Anybody see the same? 
very few, like one, two, three, I see four people. All right. Some people saw all different horses. Some people saw at first just whatever kind of horse popped in their mind. Then they saw a big giant draft horse. And then when I said a black horse, they saw black beauty and like all different horses. And then when I said horse fly, you just saw a fly. When I said horseshoes, you saw your uncle and your daddy throwing horseshoes at a cookout when you were five. Well, that was pretty specific. Maybe you didn't see your uncle and your daddy, but you might have just thought like completely different things. Every picture, like, and that's how some people's brains would process it. Some people, they say, saw letters, like the word horse written out, the word fly written out. They say those are usually people that see things that way are geniuses, so probably not going to get a big raise of hands. Just kidding. Oh, now Zach raised his hand when I said that. Yeah, that's how I saw it. We all see things different. Your perspective tells a lot about you. All right, now maybe just the things that you see, your vision, the things you see in your brain. When I said those pictures, now, like when I said horse, maybe some of y'all saw a unicorn. I don't know. For some of y'all, y'all might have seen the Budweiser horses. Nope. Your perspective, it tells a lot about you. So what I'm about to do may give you some insight to your perspective and your perception. If I could ask you to close your eyes one more time and picture what I'm about to say. I want you to imagine God. Elohim. Adonai. Yahweh, I am that I am, Jehovah Jireh, God the Creator. You can open your eyes. A.W. Tozer said, what you think about when you think about the Lord is one of the most important things about you. What you think about when you think about the Lord what you pictured when you close your eyes and you think of God. Why? Because it changes the way you act. It changes the way you live your life. It changes the way you interact with other people. And the way that you see God, whether you realize it or not, it changes the way you treat other people. It changes who you are, the way you see God. And I hope when you just close your eyes, I, I hope that you saw a good father. I hope that you saw some goodness. I hope that you saw some love and not just this, some angry old grandpa with a stick waiting to pop you in the head. I hope you didn't see harsh judgment. But I hope you saw a good father. I hope you saw a lot of goodness. The goodness of God is mentioned over 50 times in the Bible. David wrote 15 psalms about it and mentioned it more than that, but 15 of the songs, the psalms, songs, were written specifically about the goodness of God. Jesus even talked about it. 
there was this time, and I found this interesting, that there was a time when Moses was leading the children of Israel, and we, he took them out of slavery, and he was bringing them into the promised land. And there was a time that Moses says to God in Exodus, hey, God, um, if you're not coming with us, we don't want to go. We'd rather stay here in the wilderness and not walk into the promised land and not have all the things that you promised us and just have your presence and you be with us. Like, if you're not going, we don't want to go. And Moses was speaking for all the people. And, and check out what God says. So right after Moses and God are having this conversation in Exodus 33, verse 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me that glory. This is Moses talking to God. Hey, God, we're really friends. Show me your glory. And look what God says. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. I'm going to tell you my name. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So he said, it's more than you can handle right now. But I'm going to give you all that you can take. Isn't that kind of what God does with us too? I feel like a lot of times I pray for things that I can't handle. And God just gives me little bits at a time. because, And then looking back, I think, man, I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer. It probably would have broke me. I couldn't have carried the load I was asking for. But I just didn't see it in the moment. So God's like, well, that's a little more than you could handle. You can't handle all my glory right now, Moses. But I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some of who I am. But he said, I'm going to, Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to let my goodness go first and then tell you who I am. My goodness is going to pass before you. And then God goes on to tell who he is. If you skip on down to chapter 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and he proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Abundant or overflowing in what? Goodness. Not abundant or overflowing in judgment or glory or power or majesty. God's telling about himself. Like, if I tell you something about myself, you can believe it. You can trust it. If I tell you my favorite food's steak, then you're probably not going to start arguing with me. No, it isn't. Your favorite, unless, never mind. That could happen between spouses, maybe, but what, like, you shouldn't argue with somebody else if they told you that about themselves, right? So God's telling us this about himself. God said, I'm overflowing with goodness. Moses, this is who I am. I want you to convey this message to my people that I'm just overflowing with goodness. I'm full of mercy. I'm full of love. But God is overflowing with goodness and truth. That's what God said about himself. And this is the most requoted verse 
in the Old Testament. Talking about God's overflowing with goodness. See, the Old Testament writers, they always like to quote, go back and quote the Old Testament and re-quote it throughout scriptures and stuff. This is the most re-quoted verse in the Old Testament. John 3.16 got the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, talking about the goodness of God. Our God is good. So I wrote down three things that will distract you from the goodness of God. Three things that I'm betting you might be dealing with or have dealt with one or maybe all three of these things. So I just want to talk about it for a few minutes. Three things that will distract you or really it's lies. Three lies that you may believe. Maybe cultures told you or maybe you, whatever. But if you're believing one of these lies, then it's going to keep you from experiencing the goodness of God. First one. Life is supposed to be easy and fair. Right? We all, we think that. We hear that. Little kids, if you have any kids, have you ever told your kids, life's not fair? My mom say that to us all the time. Well, sorry, life's not fair. Dusty's your favorite. Mom would say, sorry, life's not fair. Yes, he is. <laughs> sorry, all my siblings that are in the room. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't say it on that out loud. But we know. Life's not fair. But if we get this idea that life is supposed to be easy and fair, and for things to be good, then they should be easy. That's just not reality. That's not what Scripture teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not the examples that we have to look at. It, if we're always looking for the easy way out, or for things to be fair, or this comparison of, well, they have this, so why don't I have that, or... You know, he has the promotion, why didn't I get the promotion? Or they got to go to the Bahamas and I have to go to work. And we start this whole comparison. And we forfeit God's goodness and his grace for us in this season where we're at. And social media makes it much easier to compare your life with someone else's than it used to be. Right? Like you could be having a perfectly fine day at work and thankful to God and praising Him that you have a job and you're able to feed your family and then on your lunch break you pull out your phone and you flip on Facebook and scroll down and you see old so-and-so's living it up by a pool at the beach somewhere. You start comparing and think, man, I haven't been to the beach in two years. Must be nice. I wish I could afford to go, out, go on a trip every other weekend. I'm stuck here working. Right, we, we start comparing. And maybe, you know, people put on social media, it's, it's all the highlights, right? But still, you do it. Somebody puts on there about 
how wonderful their marriage is. And then you start thinking, well, my wife was mean to me this morning and told me to eat a granola bar because she wasn't cooking me no breakfast. And look, he's done posted a picture of eggs and bacon and an all-star meal sitting right on the table. Must be nice to have a wife that actually cares. You start comparing and it gets you nowhere. Actually, it, no, it doesn't get you nowhere. It gets you worse off than you were. So rather than being grateful for what you have or working on what you have, you're just comparing it to what everybody else has. And guess what? Those pictures that somebody threw on Facebook, that's not their every day. I don't think people put on there like, had another argument, click here to watch the video of her freaking out. Nah. Might get a lot of views. All right. In your relationships, on your job, in your church, right? I mean, you start comparing. All churches are different. Some churches are big and some are small and some are all pastors are different. There's all so if you start comparing your church to somebody else's church and you go online and watch all these different churches and you start thinking about, well, my church doesn't do that or they don't offer that or whatever. You start to miss the goodness of God. Psalm 37 7 says this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. You know what that means? Don't compare and and be fretting and get yourself upset because they're on vacation and you're at work. Or because they seem to have made more money than you and you're a better person than them. Right? Stop. Don't compare yourself to someone else. God is a good father. And he is using everything. If you could change your perspective, it would change everything about your life. Right? You don't even have to change your circumstances. I'm telling you, if you can just change your perspective, you could change everything. Everything would change. I heard, uh, I heard someone ask a question. I heard, heard someone else say this, but I thought it was really funny. They asked, how is so-and-so doing? And the response was, well, He's still building his testimony. I mean, he ain't got it right. He's still being an idiot, but he's still building his testimony. Comparison is a trap. And you will never be satisfied because you're always looking for better. You're always looking for more. It's never enough when you're comparing. It doesn't matter how much money you get. It doesn't matter how nice of a car you get or how big of a house you get. Or When you're comparing to someone, there's always going to be somebody else with a little bit more. and you're, It's never enough. 
never enough and you get stuck in that trap you always want better you always want more and you're never satisfied with what God has now and you start to lose your gratitude you're working and stressing and not happy you start to mess up relationships the Bible teaches us and Jesus showed us this invitation from God If you will obsess over me and your purpose, then I'll make your life good. It won't always seem fair. Life's not always going to seem fair, but it'll be good. The only time we're worried about something not being fair is when we're comparing to what somebody else got. But if we trust God that he's given us what we need... And that he can work all things together for our good, like Romans 8, 28 says, then we're not worried about something being fair, right? Because God, my good father, is giving me what I need. So it throws the whole fair and easy thing out the window. It'll make your life good. It won't always seem fair. It may not be better but he says it'll be good. Line number two. I can make it on my own. I don't need anyone else. I can do it on my own. I can make it on my own. If you believe that, and that's a truth to you, and that you, you think that's true, that you can do it all on your own, that you can do life on your own, You'll miss the goodness of God. God is a community being. It's part of who He is. His economy is relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He's three in one. He created, he, he created Adam and then He looked at Adam and said, It is not good that He's alone. I better create another human. He needs connection and relationship. It's not good for you to be alone. You cannot walk out your assignment alone. It's impossible. You were made to give. You were made to love and be loved. You were created to help people. You need connections. You need other people. Third one. Third lie. People don't really change. You ever heard that one? Well, I have a lot. You're wasting your time. People are who they are. They ain't going to change. He's never going to be any different. Why do you keep trying to help her? People don't change. And that's a lie. But if you believe that, if you let that become a belief and you start thinking, yeah, people don't change, Start letting that sink in. It can become a real problem. Because if you start to believe that, then you'll be cynical. And here's the bad thing. You will never change or repent. Because you don't think people can change. So that means you don't think you can change. And so you just think, oh, well, I got this problem, but people don't change. So 
why would I ever do the hard work to find healing? Why would I ever do the hard work to change? People don't change. That's what the word repent means, is to change your thinking, to change your direction. So, you would never repent. You would never change. You would never turn. If you believe that people don't really change, you're not only cynical towards other people, but you will live the type of life where you don't change or repent. The Bible tells us in in Romans 2, 4, that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So we're talking about God's goodness, right? And how important God's goodness is. And that's part of His character. So the goodness of God leads us to repentance or change. That's how we change. And that tells us that people can change. Through the goodness of God. He leads us there. People can't change. Yeah, they can. If you believe that life's supposed to be easy and fair or you can make it on your own and you don't need other people or that people don't change, it'll keep you from seeing His goodness. So... So that's all the lies. But now I want to give you the question that everybody always asks. So I know you've heard this question. And me, as a pastor, when I became a pastor, I heard this question a whole lot more. Because I guess people want to ask me, thinking I would be able to give them some answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anybody ever heard that? I've heard it. I've been asked that. I've been given that as an excuse of why people don't believe in God more times than I can tell you. I don't believe God's real. Why? Because bad things happen to good people. Tell me why, and maybe I'll believe in God. Like, that's a big question that a lot of people ask. Why do bad things happen to good people? And so as... You know, I've thought about that over the years and prayed about it and studied about it and looked. And, and, and quite honestly, I don't know. Tell you the truth. I don't know why bad things happen to good people, but they do. And Jesus warned us that we're going to face trials and tribulation. And, and we've got the scriptures that tell us that it, the rain falls on the just and the unjust and like... Bad things happen to everybody. Like, bad things aren't just seeking out certain people and just a bad thing happening to them. Bad, bad things happen to everybody. But first of all, for that question, um, how do we determine who's good? Right? We're talking about God's goodness. So why do bad things happen to good people? When something bad happens to somebody and we, everybody wants to say, oh, well, man, he's such a good person. I don't know why something like that would have happened to him. And I started thinking about that, like, how do we even qualify someone as a, a good person? No one's good. We all make mistakes. Look at Romans 3.23.
think I would have had that marked. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All, everybody. Everyone messes up. We all make mistakes. Jesus said, let's look what Jesus said in Mark 10, 18. This guy came to Jesus and called him good master, good teacher. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? Wait, but this is Jesus. All God, all man. If you could call anybody good, it, it would be Jesus, right? I don't care how good you think you are. You can't tell me you think you're better than Jesus. Hopefully. And this is what Jesus said. Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. And defraud not honor thy father and mother and Jesus just starts telling him some of the commandments like you know this is what you need to do to be a good person and he answered and said unto him master all these have I observed from my youth and then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him one thing thou lackest go thy way sell whatsoever thou hast give it to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come take up thy cross your purpose and follow me I got Jesus it says that Jesus loved him and he said come follow me and Jesus only other ever said that to the disciples if you go read the gospels and I believe after a lot of studying and looking at it that Jesus was giving this man an invitation to be one of the disciples that's how he called all of them hey come follow me Hey, Peter, leave your boat and your nets. Come follow me. James and John, hey, leave your stuff. Come follow me. And he told this dude, hey, go sell all your stuff. Give it away to the poor and come follow me. Jesus loved him and was giving him an invitation to be a disciple. But he couldn't. He was too hung up on his, his deal. His issue. And he couldn't follow him. Jesus said, no one is good but God. Come follow me. So why, why do bad things happen to good people? Is it good? Or is it bad? How do you determine if someone is a good person? Everybody thinks that they're a good person. Right? Like you all think you're a good person. Yeah, like you have a reason for all the bad things you've done. All the mean things you've said, you've got an excuse and a reason. And like we all give more grace to ourselves because we know all the reasons. We know how stressed out and tired or mad we were at that moment or how like. So you think you're good and have grace for you, but I'm sure there's another human that you've gotten mad at and thought they're not a good person. Maybe for the same reasons that you justify for yourself. I've been at funerals where they started describing the person that had passed away. And it was a person that I knew. 
And I honestly started looking around and thought, maybe I'm at the wrong funeral. Once they started describing them, because I thought, that's not the person I knew. That's not the relative that I knew. All of a sudden, everybody starts talking about how good of a person they were. And I'm thinking, no, they weren't. That was not a good person. They had some major issues. But all of a sudden, they were a good person. But really, I'm asking this question, and I'm kind of joking around and stuff, but I'm asking the question, what really qualifies someone as a good person? Maybe if they don't cuss, is that it? No, I mean, I know some people that I would consider a good person that let a cuss words, a few cuss words slip out here and there, and I would still tell you if you ask me, hey, is they a good I said, oh, yeah, they're a good person. So I guess it's not cussing. What if they, what if they drink or, or do drugs? Is that it? Then we qualify them as a bad person if they... What if they just had a couple drinks on one weekend? But No, because I know some people that have drank or done some drugs that I would still tell you, yeah, they're a good, they're a good person, right? You would consider them. Okay, so... Um, is the qualification that um, they don't hurt anyone. They don't hurt anybody else. They just do what they do, and as long as they're not hurting anybody else, it's okay. And Like, is that it? And then I thought, no. Nah. Because I'm friends with and mentored by someone that I would consider a very good man. And he's killed people. He struggled with addiction and anger. And I said, don't, don't freak out like he's a wanted man. He was in war at Vietnam. But struggled with some major addiction in parts of his life and anger. And he's one of the best people I know. He's mentored me and given me advice and prays for me every day and calls me every couple weeks to see how my kids are and how like he's a good person if I got asked to stand up and speak at his funeral I wouldn't it wouldn't be very hard for me to think of good things to say about him and be telling you the truth but he's done a lot of bad things in his life too now, there's a whole lot of a lot of bad things there too so what in our minds even qualifies someone as a good person? There's this old story or proverb, not a proverb in the Bible. but So you may have heard it, but it's been told. I don't even know where it originated. So it's been told by a lot of different people. And a couple of the details are different depending on where you heard it. So here's the story. There's a story about an old farmer, and he had enough to get by, but lived a decent life. But, you know, things, he didn't have a lot. He only had one horse, which was about average in the town that they lived in, and they could use it to plow their crops, and they could use it to pull their cart. He had one son that was 18 years old. 
And so one day they woke up in the morning and they walked out and two of the boards were busted off the top of the corral and his horse was nowhere to be found. They searched everywhere. And so all of his neighbors gathered around and said, oh, it's such a horrible day for you. This is a bad day. This is a bad thing. Now you've got no way to pull your cart into town and you've got no way to plow your fields so you won't have crops and you're going to starve because you don't have money to buy another horse and nobody can loan you their horse because none of us have extras. It's a bad thing. And the old wise farmer said, well, I won't say whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Time will tell. The next day, the horse showed back up in the corral eating his feed, and he had two wild horses with him that he had gone off and found. A couple of mares followed him back, and they were in the corral eating the feed. So the old wise farmer went over there and shut the gate and chained it up. Now all the neighbors and everybody gathered around and said, Oh, it's such a good thing. It's a blessing. You must be doing something right in your life. Now you've got three horses. you got more than all of us. If you break those and train them, you could breed them and have babies coming, and you could have one to pull your cart and one to plow your field. And He said, I won't say whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Time will tell. His 18-year-old son went out there and started go ahead and start gentling down those two new horses and break them, and they were wild. And one of them threw him way up in the air, and as he was coming down, she kicked him right in the leg and snapped his leg, broke the bone. All the neighbors and everybody gathered around and said, Oh, it's such a bad thing. I bet you wish you never had those old wild Mustangs because now your son can't help you plant the crops and your son, will he's the only kid you have. And now, oh, you're probably not even going to get all your work done because he's your only helper. And old farmer said, I won't say whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I, time will tell. A few days later, the king's men rode into town recruiting by law, every man, 18 and up, has to come and fight in the war. And they went to every house. And there was great weeping and mourning because it was a war that most would not come home from. And when they came to the old wise farmer's house, they said, Nope, we don't want you. You got a broken leg. You got to stay. Now all the people gathered around and they said, oh, it's such a good thing, such a blessing that he broke his leg because now you're the only one of us that gets to keep your son and all the rest of us have to give our son to the king and he'll probably die and never come back. The farmer said, oh, I won't say whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Time will tell. But you see, the point that the story makes and the point that I'm trying to make is we love to slap a label on everything in our life. That's a good thing. That's a bad thing. Oh, that's a painful thing. So it must be bad, right? Because everything that's painful is bad, right? Ask a woman that's had a baby. Might be a very painful thing. So Jesse had our oldest son, Malachi. Guess what? It was a very painful and long, drawn-out thing. But guess what? That was not a bad thing. It was one of the greatest days of both of our lives. Just because something's painful doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I don't know. Time will tell. I know that my God is so good that even if it was a bad or painful thing, that he's working. And so if I believe in him and I know his character and I know how good he is, then why would I be so quick 
to label things. This is a good person. This is a bad thing. So we've determined that nobody's good. There aren't good people or bad people. They're just people. We're all people. We all have problems and mistakes. And Jesus died on the cross for every one of us and calls us all his sons and his daughters. So can we just change that to why do bad things happen to people? Okay. And then I just now made the case to you through that story that maybe it's not even a bad thing. Maybe it's a hard thing. Maybe it's a thing you wouldn't pick. Maybe it's pain. Right? Maybe it's someone else doing something to you that you had no control of. And maybe like all different things happen. But I promise you God's big enough to work it for your good. I promise you if you will gain the proper perspective on the situation and do the hard work to find the healing, it'll be a good thing. In fact, God promised he would make it into a good thing. Notice, God doesn't say that he'll make all things better. He said he'll make all things good. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together. Wait, all things. Everything? Yeah, the good things, bad things, painful things. All things work together for good to them that love God. You see, He factors in your humanity. And He works it together for your good. To them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. To those that are chasing after their purpose and following after Him. Don't set your mind on your problems. That was just a vehicle that, that God used to get you here. To get you where you are today. I believe if we can lose the idea of better. I need something better. I want God to make it better. I, I felt pain, so now I need something better. I lost that friend so now I need a better friend right I this idea of better or I mean what we talked about at first the uh, fair if we can lose that then God can start working it for our good maybe you lost a friend and you're waiting on God to give you a better friend and I'm sorry to tell you today but that may not happen. Like, what if you lost a child? We got people sitting in the room that have had to bury a child. I can't even imagine. But one thing I know is you can't just have another child and replace them and take away the, the pain and the mourning and the grieving of that. And it's like, well, I'm just going to pray that God would give me a better child. That's not how that works. You don't just get better. And God never promises that he will give you better. Right? Like, you can go down the list and think about all different areas. And if we're looking for better, that's not what God said he would do. 
Everything won't be okay if you just replace it. See, we just want to replace it with something better or something to make us feel better. So we get divorced and we buy ourselves a new car. We quit the church and we try to find a better church. And then at our new better church, we talk about all the things that are better than our old church rather than just talking about what's good there at the new church. We want to talk about everything that's better here than where we came from. At least it's better until we're done here and then we'll go somewhere else and talk about how they're better than here. And then like, and it's just this never ending cycle where we're not satisfied and we're not experiencing the goodness of God and we're just we're just on this always looking for better and and God didn't say he would give us better there's still pain there's still things that we have to work through if you'll do the hard work and work things out and find healing and grieve and mourn your losses if you'll forgive the people that hurt you, then God will make it good. And you can get out of this better cycle because there's no satisfaction in better. God doesn't make things better. He makes things good. He said he'll work all things together for our good. Y'all remember the story of Job? I won't turn there because I'm... I'm trying to end this thing. But remember the whole the story of Job where he was a righteous man and he did, I mean, talking about being good, he did things right and he even offered sacrifices for his kids that maybe they sinned in their heart. So I just want to make sure that I'm offering sacrifices for them. He was a good dude and he was the richest guy in all the land and had tons of flocks and animals and kids and and the devil came to God and was like, you know, if you let me attack him, he wouldn't be so good. It's just because you bless him. And so God tells the devil, go ahead. Job won't turn his back on me. And, and Job had some really, really, really dark, bad days. Job lost, Job lost all of his children in one day. They all died. He lost all of his flocks. It got so bad that while one servant was standing there telling him, hey, all of your sheep are dead, your thousands of sheep, while he was still talking, the Bible says, another dude showed up to tell him that he had lost all of his kids, all of his animals. Then his body got attacked and he had whelps and boils all over him and his, his friends showed up to tell him why he had done something wrong. Or, Boy, you must be a bad person. We thought you were a good person, but you must have some secret sin. <laughs> this to be happening to you go read read the book of job where all this stuff happens right but at the end of job god gives job back double what he had before of all the wealth and the kids god replaced all his kids and so a lot of times in our mind we're like hey it's happy ending to the story he got back double what he lost but guess what those new double the amount of kids didn't replace all those his kids that died. The hurt and the pain and the loss was still there. So if Job didn't grieve and walk through that in a healthy way, it wasn't just like, okay, now I got double again. I'm rich and have more kids again. Everything's okay. And 
And thinking about that and, and going along with this message, at, um, I've never really noticed this verse in Job 42. Verse 10, after all that stuff had happened, after Job had, let's see, where am I? Interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. All his brothers and sisters and friends came to his house and they celebrated. And look at this part right here. They told him how sorry they were and they consoled him. And then it goes on to tell all the blessings and how God had blessed him and from generation to generation. He got to live all these more years and see his kids, his grandkids and his great-grandkids and all these things. But if just getting better and doubling everything just made everything okay and everything fine, then why would they need to tell him how sorry they were and console him or some translations say that comforted him? Helped him walk through it. Helped him find healing. Because even though it was doubled and even though he had more kids, he still had to walk through the pain of what he lost. He still had to to find some healing. See, God made it good. God worked it for his good. But he needed to be comforted. When somebody's mourning or grieving, you don't have to know why. You don't have to come up with all the answers to tell them why this happened and why this bad thing happened to you or why that. That's like trying to answer the question of why do, why do bad things happen to good people? That's like what Job's friends were trying to do when they were there. Well, you must have some kind of sin or there must be something in your life or where, like, that's not what people need. Sometimes you just need somebody to grieve with you, to cry with those that cry and laugh with those that laugh. Scripture tells us to do. He just needed to be comforted. Last Tuesday, I was driving I was driving through Alabama. I had to go pick something up. And it was almost to the Tennessee line. I had no idea where I was going. I was just following the GPS through some country back winding roads, getting close to Tennessee. And then I started seeing these big giant rocks, huge rocks and cliffs where the road was cut into the cliffs and mountains. I started climbing up these mountains. Um, with my truck and then I hit this bridge and didn't think much about it when I came to it but it was this giant bridge and I start coming over it and there's this huge body of water and the bridge just kept going higher and higher and higher and I was like holy cow it was so far like the bridge I could barely see like across it and I just started looking both ways and there was water as far as I could see, and then these huge mountains and like rock cliffs coming up on both sides and and the sky was beautiful and there was birds flying around and it was awesome. And in that moment as I was just driving, I was filled with awe and wonder 
like creation and just looking at what God made and and on this giant bridge so high up in the air and then the mountains were just way higher than I was. For a minute I felt so small but then so connected. I was filled with gratitude and I was overwhelmed with with just feelings of worship. And I was so grateful that I'm alive and that I was sober and awake. And that I get to not only see and experience this magnificent creation, but I get to be a part of it. I thanked God for His goodness, for His creation, for His character. That is His goodness. I had a real moment of worship on a random Tuesday, riding in my truck to pick up a pig. God's good. And He'll catch you off guard. And if you're looking for Him, all the scriptures started popping in my mind about like, if you don't praise me or worship me, even the rocks will cry out. All of creation sings the praises of God, declares the goodness of our God. That's who He is. That's what He does. You can, you can look at creation and it testifies there is a God and He's awesome and He's good. And I know there's pain and I know there's hurt and I know there's hard things and there's going to be storms and there's going to be giants that you're going to need to slay, but it's okay. Because you got a good God and He's on your side and He's working for you behind the scenes and, and you might not always see it, but if you trust Him, if you do the hard things sometimes, He'll bring healing. See, a bad day doesn't equal a bad life. It's just a chapter in a really, really, really big story. I know it was a painful day. I'm not taking away from your pain. And there's nothing that I can do to make it better. But you have a good father. And he says, I'll make it good. I'll work it together for your good. If you trust me, let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for being a real God. Thank you for meeting us on whatever level we're at. God, thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds and for helping us grow. God, help us to change our perspective. Be a little more like the old farmer that says, I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing just because it's painful. Maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's giving me strength. Maybe you're going to use it to help me grow. God, help us to look at everything through your eyes. Help us to trust you. Thank you for reminding us of your goodness and how good you are. We love you. Thanks for grace and mercy and forgiveness.